dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios Podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Well, hey, we're live. Joe McCarthy here, Mojo Studio, with my good friend John Comfort. This is a 12th episode in a series called Good Stuff. It's funny, I, I live in, in Orange County, not too far from John, but there's many restrictions in our town about what fireworks you can and cannot do in the street. But Fullerton is like three houses away. There totally different set of rules and so you just all you had to do is walk half a block and then there's fireworks everywhere <laughs> it didn't matter which way you looked or which way you listened there were a constant barrage of fireworks for i don't know how many hours yesterday oh my gosh yeah constant rolling thunder for like four or five hours uh i mean it's remarkable and there is a sense of of pride and patriotism like we are celebrating something great right we are it's a birthday of our country with all of its flaws and its blemishes, but we do enjoy freedoms and rights that are remarkable. They do uh, stand out for the rest of the world. And I can say that from experience. I've been, been to not only all 50 states, but 30 countries around the world. And I am very grateful for the blessings of the country that I live in. I am also grateful to live in a country committed to becoming a more perfect union. Uh, I saw one guy saying, there's nothing more patriotic than um, trying to address grievances. It's kind of interesting to go out and talk with your neighbors while this is going on. My neighbor across the street was saying a few years ago, he was in a different city in Orange County, and it was all, you know, not just fireworks, but people fire arms. They were just firing wow. guns really in the neighborhood and said he ended up with three or four holes in the ceiling of the of the mobile home that he lived in so he put on a pot on his head just to save his own life and i thought to celebrate your freedom is a great thing but if yeah. you take it too far and you put yourself in danger of the people around you well then yeah. right you're abusing yeah. the freedoms that you're celebrating yeah that's actually a, a good example you know, it's a good illustration there joe because when you dig in, our freedoms only extend to the end of our nose. I saw another that's the same idea. It's that uh, if if you want to be serious about your own freedom, you have to be serious about everyone else's freedom. Yeah, I think there is this uh, innate sense that we all have, especially as Americans, I suppose, that nobody tells what to do and you right. know, I'm going to do it my way. You know, the old Frank Sinatra song is like a theme song of our country as COVID started getting going global uh one of the world health officials said this isn't going to go very well in the united states in particular because this deep pride and sense of independence the americans don't want anybody telling them to wear a mask or to social distance or whatever it takes you know not to protect themselves but protect each other and uh sure enough it, it did become an issue in certain pockets of our country where people are like their, their independence was more important to them than the health and safety of themselves and or the people around them. You and I have shared this comment before, and this has occurred to lots of people that we you know, were founded on this declaration of independence, 
but then people are moved to say, actually, maybe we need a declaration of interdependence. Uh, there's so much that's correct about that. Um, uh, the, and the, the, the play on words and the value of language, um, you know, Jesus Christ himself is the word and uh, the value of, you know, like so much of this is about communication and uh, words and language matters. And these are all interrelated. It's all interwoven. It's all, I would say, it's all a part of this tapestry that God himself is weaving, you know. Yeah, the, the illustrations just keep rolling. Like we talk about a freedom of speech. That's one of the things that our country is founded on. So words, right. how we're, important words are. And yeah. as we've talked about before, words can be used to build and they can be used to tear down. You know, you don't have to go very far in social media for it's obvious that some people think that freedom of speech gives me a right to just blast people or to, or to hate people, right? Or to yeah. say whatever I want at the expense of anybody and i think social media in some ways gives people like this um the sense of security and distance where they're even more bold in saying terrible oh. things right because they don't feel like there's any repercussion <laughs> they don't have to pay absolutely yeah if you just simply try to browbeat people from whatever side you know they're just going to simply resist and get defensive and all of that um I, so I'm guilty of it too, though. On you know, like on Facebook or whatever, I might be more willing to you know just kind of keep firing back, but it's it's pointless at the end of the day. Um, and that uh, you know the the reliance on the good news of the gospel and keeping things in the fruits of the spirit is ultimately what needs to be spread. Yeah, one of the verses that uh, comes up often, one of the scripture verses that comes up in, in our conversations is, "Speak your truth in love." You see the dangers all around that if you only have half of the equation, if you just speak your truth, but there's no love, then it just becomes a weapon. And uh, that's yeah. not actually helpful to yourself or the people that you're <laughs> that you're yeah. shredding, right? The in love part is so important. Yeah. Speaking your truth. People are saying that phrase a lot more in the last, whatever, five, ten years or whatever. The idea that you have something that's entirely your own truth is a little bit of a misnomer. It's not that. There is just truth. There's one truth that has to reign. The The gnarliness comes is that there are, though, different perspectives on truth. Yeah, I love the word we've brought into this conversation often is the word refinement. That's a, yeah. it's a process, a continual process. If you think that you've found the truth, like you've you've discovered it and now you're the fountain of truth and everybody needs to agree with you. Well, in essence, you've stopped refining the process for yourself, right? Yeah. So I think the scripture that says, ask, seek, and knock, ask, and you shall receive, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the doors will be opened. And if you dig into the language of how that was written, it's a, it's a constant, it's the perpetual verb, ask yeah. and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, right? It's this constant yeah. process, and that's the process that we're bringing to the table when we're having these conversations, trying to find answers together, trying to let the, the truth set us free. That's awesome. Again, double edges where you're trying to seek a point. What do we all kind of hold dear and value, and what do we have common ground on? And you had sent me another podcast too about how there really is a lot of richness in finding um, value in what people like, you know, 
And you have to be careful with that. And it's very obvious. It's a very obvious double edge. There is, I described it and entitled it in another thing I wrote, but it's the peril and the promise of popularity. And these ideas of America and Americana and freedom and all of that. Uh, so I mentioned Disney then, and I am one to shift gears then a little bit to that. Um, but Disney is deep into the uh, Americana kind of stuff. And um, people love Disney, not and not everyone does. I mean, you can also obviously be critical of Disney, of um, how it's crass consumerism and artificial. And um, some people can get their nose out of joint enough to say, why would you even want to go there? But they're immensely popular. And the thing that I think is interesting about them is that, and this is this thing about how America is this beacon of freedom, maybe, but it extends to the whole world. It extends everywhere. These ideas, people yearn for it everywhere. It's global in scope, you know. Um, and it's, it's interesting to note that... Um, for all of the criticism that Disney has endured, they are indeed far and away the most popular vacation destination in every place that they're in, basically. China has uh, Disneyland in Shanghai and it's immensely popular. And uh, like the, Tokyo and, uh, oh, even Europe. Oh my gosh, the Europeans turned their nose up and said, I can't believe they're even gonna try this. It's gonna fail next week nope it is the number one paid vacation destination in europe as well um and so it's immensely popular and yet people are also immensely can be immensely critical of it but it's like digging in on that then is like why is that what is that and i think it goes to something that you've mentioned before too though is, is that it is it's rooted in story it's rooted in nostalgia. People go there and remember, but it is actually also rooted in a look to the future. And you, you've illustrated that well, Joe, the, the, the God himself calls us to both remembrance and a look to the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And that, that podcast that I sent you was uh, on Simon Sinek's feed. And I, uh, the lady who was being interviewed was talking about, she was digging into that very question. Why is, Disney's so popular? Why are people drawn to Beyonce and some of the, the popular things in our culture that she said almost creates a pseudo religion, right? Where people are so yeah. devoted in, in a nearly spiritual way to, you know, something that's just man-made, right? And to me, of course, that piqued my attention because we're talking about universal truth. What, what are these things that globally and historically attract people is there something in there that we can learn? Um, and I think we're digging in right now to a good place. What does Disney offer that everybody around the world loves? You know, they'll spend their whole lives saving up for a vacation to go to Disneyland or Disney World or Epcot or whatever it is. And, and she came to the conclusion that it's this, this promise, this possibility that people could, could enjoy kind of a utopia, right? That, that harkens back to their nostalgia and makes them feel good about their childhood and has yeah. this promise of a utopian future where, you know, we, we are the world or uh, it's a small world after all, tomorrow yeah. land, all these things. And even though you know when you're there, it's all fake, 
right? It's all just an illusion. It still makes you feel good. And you yeah. really, you know, people, people want to feel good. So they'll spend their time and their money and travel around the world to go have those moments. People are critical of Disney because they charge a lot, but it's easily <laughs> arguable that they actually need to charge more because they've got crowd problems when there aren't COVID restrictions. Um, yeah. Everything you were just saying too is literally on display at Disneyland. Walt Disney himself, it's so rich digging into some of this stuff with his biography even. Um, and I'm not saying he was perfect. Um, it's the same thing as like looking at the founding fathers and yeah, they are flawed. But Disney himself, he kind of like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, he came of age and actually went and was a part of World War One. He, uh, he drove an ambulance, I think, in World War One, And it's this th time when um, monarchies really, really collapsed and democracy really, really pushed forward. And that's actually in the monarch's best interest, as uh, as we've talked about, you know. But there was there was an order there that people yearn for that order, and we nostalgically believe, you know, the good old days is what we yearn for. And you can see it in so many of Walt Disney's movies that he made a lot of movies that are set in that turn of the century era of his childhood. Uh, you know, from the late 1800s into the early 1900s. And he saw that as the order that he yearned for. And that's what Main Street USA is on Disneyland. It is this model of his childhood Main Street from like 1920 or 1910 or whatever it was. Uh, I guess 1910, probably. And he was like, this, this is the good old days. And that's how you enter into Disneyland, is this model of like 1910 Missouri Main Street, you know. But then you have the Tomorrowland just to the right, you know, and this look to the future. And Disney was always then pushing uh, forward also. Uh, and he was essentially trying to create a utopia. He actually literally tried to do it in Florida with, with Epcot and with, uh, there's a little town called Celebration Florida where they thought they could just completely create their own utopia. And it's not awful to do that but i think that the key is is that you need to be wanting to seek the kingdom of god and not your own kingdom i'm not trying to throw walt under the bus but if anybody was able to create his own kingdom it was walt disney oh disneyland itself too um he made it with this idealized view in mind not just of the big picture fancy things but even the simple things of I need this place to be clean. I need trash cans everywhere. I need staff who are picking up litter all the time because the thing that's driving me crazy is, is when I go to Coney Island, there's litter all over the place. And that's one of the big distinctions between Disneyland and other theme parks is that it is clean. And there's virtue in them. That, that desire though for order, that looking to the future and then remembering the value of what's past and the, the value of all that though is then uh, so much on display. My wife and I used to go to Disneyland more often back when our kids were two years old or younger because they right. could get in for free at that point, right? So we could afford to go then. Of all the visits that we had to Disneyland, I distinctly remember being at one place and seeing that the paint was chipped and that there was actually litter on the ground which in all of my visits, I had never seen that. And I was like, 
what happened here, right? This this oh. doesn't seem Disneyland. There's right. paint chips, you know, and there's hasn't been repaired and there's litter. And then you could hear the conversation in line going, Well, it never would have stood for that, right? This this is yeah. a sign that that the new leadership, the new regime just doesn't care as much about the stuff that Walt cared about. I didn't really put that all in context, but I, I was acutely aware of the fact that I'm not used to seeing trash on the ground at Disneyland. I'm not used to seeing paint chips. Um, yep. And then I never really thought about it until the context of what you just said, that, that there is something about that that is very compelling. It's, and you don't, even have, you don't even have to be consciously aware of it until it's gone. And then you're like, yep. hey, where's the, you know, where's the cleanliness? And other theme parks have modeled this, but it's this illusion then that they, um, they model the, or they build the whole park to make sure that you don't see like the five freeway. Um, that they don't want the outside world, you know, that they want this magical, immersive experience. Like he, more than any other American, will be the name remembered in 500 years. I've heard people describe that, you know, that maybe George Washington, because he was the first president, uh, maybe Abraham Lincoln, because of how significant he is. But politicians don't tend to get remembered in 500 years. It's the artist that gets remembered in 500 years. So there's a lot of things that are pretty glorious there. But he built his literal own kingdom there. And there's so much value there that we enjoy. But a lot of that's rooted in this idea of control, that I'm going to control this. And so many good things came out of it. But at the same time, that's not what God calls us to. But at the end of his life, I think it was a little bit on display. Walt was, he was terrified. He was so terrified of what was coming and he wasn't at peace at the end because he couldn't control it. It was outside his control. And he had lived this idea of I'm going to control it all the way to the end, but he couldn't, he couldn't do that one. And it was very hard for him uh, at the end. Yeah. It's a poignant story right there. Wow. And it's, it's, so it just goes to this thing. I mean, it could sound like a platitude, but I don't, and I don't mean it that way. It's just food for thought, but you can't be about your own kingdom. You have to be about um, seeking God's kingdom and that that's where peace will come. You know, I mean, you could, you could line Disney up with Solomon himself, you know, that you go back, I think we've referred to Ecclesiastes that achieved so much, you know, he was given great wisdom and uh, achieved so many things and wealth and everything you could want, but he Again, it's credited to him, whether he wrote it down or not. But in Ecclesiastes, everything comes down to just simply trying to be obedient to God and seeking God's kingdom rather than your own kingdom. You know, as I think about the uh, popularity, again, of Disney and uh, pop singers and music and the places where you see throngs of people, you know, just screaming their heads off, throwing their money and their clothes and, and just losing their minds um, I do think there is the word, one of the words you used earlier is there's this yearning inside of us, for something glorious. And, you know, Disneyland gives us a, a hint, like a taste, almost like an appetizer of the glory that God does have for us. But we try to find it in temporary things. I, I can pay my money and walk into Disneyland and feel that sense. But it does indicate like, like this is a beacon saying that we are created for something greater the the fact that we would 
you know, lose our minds and raise our hands and scream our heads off and stand out in a field in the middle of the desert for days on end to be with a crowd of people that are screaming at the bands on the stage, right? Yeah. There must be something built into the human condition, into our heart and our soul that is drawn to something great, something glorious. <laughs> and then you realize, yeah. okay, that was good, but that's that still doesn't fulfill as Walt would say at the end of his life, that it isn't the answer. It doesn't fulfill all the longings of my soul. Oh, yeah, obviously, obviously, there's so much peril in pursuing popularity as well. You know, I, I kind of like the alliteration of that. But, um, you know, you don't have to look any further than obviously social media as well as how at how evil this can be. You know, the pursuit of likes is poison. It is poison. They you know, They see it especially in you know, preteens and young teenagers of how poisonous it is to want to pursue likes and you'll do anything for that. People can sell themselves out completely in the pursuit of fame and popularity in ways that are incredibly destructive, obviously. You know, they just, you know, make a sex tape and suddenly you're famous and there doesn't seem to be a downside to it. But there is. The point that I've wanted to make in a lot of this we value these ideas of from the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal and we want all people to be created equal. And that's an incredibly popular idea. And then Abraham Lincoln is this incredibly popular president that people love and people on the left and the right try to take ownership of Abraham Lincoln because he's incredibly popular. This is Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. And that's very popular. Um, Mark Twain is probably easily the greatest American novelist that is at the top of that heap. Ernest Hemingway said that all American literature begins with Mark Twain and especially Huckleberry Finn. And that novel is about America coming to terms. And in that book, the moment of that book is you know, if you tried to think that slaves should be free, you would go to hell. Huck then says, well, I guess I'll go to hell because Jim, that slave Jim should be free. Hmm. And it's this pinnacle moment of turning a page to say that we need that. And you can keep going further with the popularity of jazz and R&B and all this stuff. And it's popular, you know, all over the world. You know, I could keep going. Like, To Kill a Mockingbird is like the second favorite novel in all of America. And uh, and you can dig into, you know, Roots was this miniseries that just blew the roof off. It points to this reconciled model at the end of the day. And it's good. It's There's nothing to be afraid of. Perhaps one of the perils of popularity, I love your alliteration there, is getting stuck on thinking that whatever your worshiping right whatever is popular in the moment um is the answer when really it, it's just a a sign that there is something greater there is something more glorious that we're pursuing and bring then to bring it down to our discussions about reconciliation that this is this process and we see the maturing of our country over time and then the course correction that even disney is making uh, where they're refining some of the stuff that they created to realize, well, that isn't really what we're after. This is more what we're after and making those changes. And like you said, some people push back and say, no, you should never ban that stuff. That's just part of our history. But we need to grow, right? To grow and learn, to go back to this common thread that keep asking, 
keep seeking, keep knocking, because we haven't arrived yet. And once you feel like you have arrived, well, then you stop growing, and the opposite of growing is dying. So yeah. all that to encourage us that we're on to something. Popularity does indicate something, but it's not necessarily the object that's so popular. It's just a sign that God's drawing yeah. us to something greater. And ultimately, yeah. we will find that fulfillment in our relationship with Him, love God, and then pouring that out into people around us, love others. As God so simply said, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, as we continue this journey, again, John would, and I would say every time that we're not the answer guy because we haven't got everything figured out. We are actually trying to model the process of learning. And each time yeah. we have this conversation, we often say, wow, I never thought of it that way. And that's that's really the joy of this process is to open your mind and your heart to realize if you're pursuing truth, God will set you free. The truth will set you free. So let's keep moving in that direction and uh, narrow the gap, right, of how far we have to go. That's right. So for Joe McCarthy at Mojo Studio and John Comfort, uh, thanks for tuning in again. And we will continue this discussion as long as we have a microphone and a laptop and a good connection to the internet. So go out, enjoy your country, enjoy Disneyland, uh, and may God continue to refine us individually and refine us collectively. Peace out. Peace out. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.